for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Welcome, Debbie. That's fantastic. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our se- on our series in Acts. So if, you want to, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 8, we're going to look at that passage in just a moment. And our title this morning is Scattered Servants. I hope you've been enjoying the series that we've been running so far uh, on Acts. I know I found it really helpful just to look again at, at the birth of the early church. And as I've been preparing for this talk in particular, I found it particularly challenging. It's a talk about outreach, essentially. Um, So I just want to start by saying I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) Everything I say this morning, I'm saying to me, and I hope it's helpful to you too, but uh, I've got a lot to learn from this passage. So with that in mind, I think it would just be good to pray quickly before we begin. So Lord, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that that it's a a lamp to our feet. It shows us where to go, Lord God. Lord, and I thank you uh, this morning. Your Holy Spirit is with us. And Holy Spirit, just ask that you would open up these scriptures to us, Lord God. That you'd speak to our hearts and minds. Lord, that you would remind us of this wonderful hope that we have in Jesus. A message of grace for us to receive with grace and take to the world with grace. Build us up. This morning, encourage us, inspire us as we look at your words. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, as a backdrop to this passage, because quite a lot's happened actually between um, Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 8, which is where we're going to start. So, as, as a quick backdrop, that we're picking up this passage just after the stoning, the story of the stoning of Stephen. Um, Stephen and Philip were two men who were chosen really to help. Uh, the apostles, and they were, they, they were chosen to help them distribute provisions to the widows. Um, pr- prior to this, the apostles had been doing that, that job, um, and the idea of this, choosing these seven men, was effectively that they, they would be uh, able to allow the apostles to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. So these were good of, men of uh, good standing, they were believers, they were ordinary people who made themselves available to serve the church and to be used by the Holy Spirit. And Stephen's, Stephen's stoning is, is a turning point in the book of Acts. Richard spoke last week about the fact that as the kingdom advances, we, we face opposition. And we saw that in relation, relation to Peter and John. And this morning we see it in relation to Stephen. And Stephen, Acts 6, says that Stephen was... He was a man full of grace and power, doing wonders and signs amongst the people. And as a result, he was preaching the gospel. As a result of this, Stephen is, Stephen is seized. He's brought before the religious leaders and rulers and accused of speaking against the temple and the law. And full of boldness in one of the longest passages, actually, in the Bible, he, uh, he speaks to them. And essentially gives what is what has later been interpreted really as a theological explanation and justification for the spread of the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And he doesn't pull any punches in this passage. Have a look at it. It's, uh, it's in Acts 7. He doesn't pull any punches. He finishes off by telling them 
that they'd betrayed and murdered the very Messiah that they'd been waiting for. And it enrages the rulers, the religious leaders, and it says they gnashed their teeth and they dragged him outside the city where he was stoned to death. That's the somewhat dramatic backdrop to our passage this morning. So, so let's, let's have a look at it. Acts chapter 8, 1 to 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the words. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So this, this passage really marks the start of quite severe persecution against the church. Prior to this, disciples, some of the disciples had been um, dragged off into prison. Some of those apostles had found themselves in prison for a night or two. But, but this is now quite intense. Verse 3 says, Saul ravaged the church, entering house after house and dragging men and women off into prison. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Wherever the gospel is, is advancing, there's going to be persecution. John 15, 20, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. My first point really is that God can use that persecution and opposition to advance his kingdom. And time and time again, this, this has been true. The church up until this point had been based very much in Jerusalem, but as a result of this persecution, they were scattered. And it's interesting to see where they scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. If you flick back in your Bible to Acts 1.8, you find this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are the words of Jesus. God is using persecution faced by the disciples to spread the message of the gospel exactly in line with that prophetic word of Jesus. That gospel message, that good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and how we can be reconciled to God. It was never meant to just stay put in one city. The message was for all mankind. And we see that in the book of Acts. It's a story of how the gospel message spread, firstly in Jerusalem, then to Judea, and then to Samaria, and later into Europe and and into Rome, and uh, the heart of the Roman Empire. And Luke charts, really, the the spread of that gospel in line with Jesus' words, the beginning of the book, book of Acts, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, to Jews, and then through Paul to the Gentiles. So God is not phased by opposition. His plans are not scuppered by opposition. In fact, he can can work through that opposition. That persecution accomplishes his purposes. It's not that he doesn't care. Psalm 116, 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his faithful servants. God cares about this, but that spread of the gospel is, is an irresistible force. 
There's a great Bible teacher called David Pawson who describes the death and resurrection of Jesus as being like a stone that's thrown in a pond and the ripples from that are extending forever outwards. And those ripples continue to this day. You know, there are, there are approximately 2.4 billion Christians in the world today, nearly a third of the world's population. The kingdom of God is advancing. It was never meant to be contained in Jerusalem. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that was a message to be carried out to the ends of the, ends of the earth. My second point is that scattered servants are God's witnesses. The disciples' response to that persecution and opposition is crucial, and we need to take note of it. Uh, We are Acts people. Barney reminded us of that in his introduction to this series. We are to continue the work of the early church. And that gospel message changed everything. The early church were witnesses of this, and they were commissioned by Jesus You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What we see in this passage is that those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution preached the word wherever they went. And Philip was was one of these. We heard about Philip earlier. He's one of those seven men chosen to distribute provisions to the widows. And as he was scattered from Jerusalem... As a result of this persecution, verse 5 says, he went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. Now Philip's first response as he flees from persecution is to go to Samaria and proclaim the gospel, the very thing that was driving this persecution in Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but I'd I'd have been tempted if, if I was Philip to lay low for a bit, to let the dust settle. You know, the... This is a pretty big deal. It's it's a it's getting to the point where it's fairly serious. But Philip goes ahead, and and as he goes, he preaches, and he goes to Samaria of all places. And don't forget that you know there's a lot of antipathy between the Jews and the and the Samaritans. When John was in Samaria with Jesus, he and his brother James asked if they could pray that God would send down fire and burn the Samaritans up. That's how strongly they felt about them. They strongly disliked them. And the Samaritans basically wouldn't have been considered uh, Jews by, by the Jews in Jerusalem. They would have been considered as those being on the very, very edges of Judaism, somewhere between Jews and Gentiles, a mixture of traditions and history, a mixture of ancestry. And they were considered, considered different, and they, they weren't well-liked. But the Holy Spirit is clearly... So at work in Philip, his actions show that he gets it. He's caught up in Christ's mission. He knows that this gospel is for everyone. It's for all nations. And we see that in Jesus' commission for us to go to the ends of the earth. And we see it on the day of Pentecost, when the apostles receive the Spirit and speak in tongues. And it says that men from every nation under heaven hear them in in their own tongue. The death and resurrection of Jesus changes the landscape. Philip clearly knows his gospel. He knows that just like that picture of the stone dropped in a pond, that this good news was good news that by its very nature had to spread outwards. So he turns away. Philip turns away from any personal prejudice he might have in going to Samaria. He seems to have his eyes fixed on something greater. And he puts aside thoughts of persecution. 
which would have been very real at the time. And as I, as I was reading about Philip, I was really reminded of the parable of the pearl of great value, which is uh, one that I love, but I also find really challenging. Matthew 13, 45 to 46 says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I believe that Stephen, just like Philip, had found that pearl of great worth and saw things differently because his eyes were fixed on Jesus and his kingdom. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. If Philip looked at the world and his circumstances in the light of what Jesus had done, and that made all the difference in the world. Other things like persecution and prejudice were therefore given their correct perspective. And the Holy Spirit was clearly the driving force behind this, but there was also a great deal of obedience on Philip's part. My third point is that scattered servants bring joy in the city. I love the results of, of Philip's preaching. It's what we find is that uh, there's joy in the city as a result. It says, it says this, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And people were responding to wonderful signs and wonders that accompanied Philip's gospel message and pointed towards it. And they were responding to a message of hope that Philip brought, that God gave his son for us, that we might be reconciled to a loving father. His gift to us is eternal life in his presence. I think we need to get that into our hearts. This gospel that we have brings hope and it brings joy. And we need to be careful when we're looking at the idea of joy in a biblical sense. One definition that I read of the biblical sense of the word kara or joy is joy is a deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows that all is well between himself and the Lord. I really love that. I'm going to read it again. Joy is a deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows that all is well between himself and the Lord. Now it's that kind of joy that allowed Horatio Spafford to write that amazing hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, after he'd found out, shortly after he found out that he'd lost all four of his, his daughters when their, their ship was sunk in the Atlantic Ocean. You know, it's a joy that goes beyond circumstance. It's assurance and it's full of hope. That's the joy that we have and that's why there was joy in Samaria, along with the response to these, these healings and these miracles there's a joy in the message of salvation. So what does all this mean for us? Well, God's kingdom is advancing. I think in the UK, you know, we don't, we don't face the same sort of persecution as, as was faced by the early church. Richard touched a, a, a little bit on uh, uh, some of the persecution faced by other Christians around the world. So the Chinese Christians, for example... And it's not like that for us, actually. We have freedom of worship, and that's a wonderful thing. 
But there is very much opposition to the word that we bring. And that's growing and becoming prevalent. We shouldn't be surprised by this. We've got an enemy who seeks to oppose the message of hope that we bring to the world. And the opposition that we face is a lot more subtle uh, than that faced by the early church and, and by those faced in other countries where you're literally you're, you're at risk of losing your life proclaiming faith. And I'm not suggesting that we suffer in any way like that, but I am suggesting that we do face opposition when we bring this message, this salvation message. I think our passage today just gives us uh, an idea of how we can respond to that opposition. You know, I think sometimes we can be very influenced or too influenced by the news and the prevailing media of the day that, you know, often says, you know, Christianity is dying out, that it's not relevant to the modern age. And I'm not suggesting that we believe that. (laughs) Come on, Becca, turn it off. (laughs) I'm not suggesting that, that we believe that message, but I am suggesting that, you know, Modern media is very pervasive and invasive, and there's a danger that we can be put on the back foot by it. You know, we can unaccept, you know, we can unintentionally accept that this is the way things is or are, and uh, that can make us fearful in stepping out with truth. But I just want to encourage you that this passage shows that God is not phased by opposition. It says he can, he can and he will work through it. We'll never live in a post-Christian age. Do you know that? We'll never live in a post-Christian age. The gospel we carry is that message of hope for all mankind. And it's as relevant today as it always has, has been. I was uh, hearing the other day about the 18th century philosopher and critic of Christianity, Voltaire, who said in the 18th century, within 100 years, the Bible will be obsolete and will have gone out of circulation altogether. 100 years later, it was more popular than ever, and his house, his very house in Paris, was turned into a Bible factory that churned out Bibles by the hour. I really love that story. The voices that speak against Christianity are nothing new. In our passage, Paul, who was one of of the people who were instigating this persecution, persecution, had a dramatic encounter with a risen Jesus and went on to spread the message to the Gentiles. It's good for us to constantly align ourselves to truth. God's kingdom is advancing. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Bernadette testified last week, for those of you who were here at the North, and she talks about her and Bob's holiday recently where Actually, she she said it was just a very natural thing. She was able to pray with a number of fellow holidaymakers. Bob was able to share the gospel. Um, And it's not forced. She she said she couldn't even remember telling anyone that she did pray. But people were hungry, and they they had that sense of hunger for God's word. So just be encouraged that this is relevant. Our message is relevant. That's my point. You don't be surprised by persecution and opposition, but do recognise that they're not a barrier to God. No circumstance that you're facing is any barrier to him working his purposes in you and through you. His good good news for mankind hasn't changed. And with that in mind, we remember that we are God's witnesses. We too are witnesses to the ends of the earth. Ashford is the end of the earth. Did you know that? 
That's not a derogatory comment. I like Ashford. Ian's nodding. <laughs> I like Ashford. And I'm from Plymouth, actually, which is far closer to the end of the earth, certainly in a ge- geographical sense. But the point is, we are those who are commissioned by Jesus. We are those witnesses right where we are. So we can learn from Philip in this respect. And what first thing we learn about Philip, he's a man who's full of the Holy Spirit. We've heard a lot about that in our series on Acts. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a not a one-time thing. That's an ongoing thing. That's something we keep doing. We keep being filled. We need to be refreshed and filled again with the power of the Spirit. Our help us so that we can come alive again to the power of the gospel. So that's our starting point. And we need to be intentional, too, about our approach to our relationship with God. Philip knew his gospel I suggest that we need to work on overflow. The best form of outreach is an overflow of what God has placed in us and has spoken to us. You can't give away what you don't have yourself. I think that's really crucial. So I would just encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Align yourself to that truth. It's the foundation of our belief. It's something that we need to remind ourselves of, revel in, celebrate, know, You know, don't let familiarity rob you of the joy of that truth. And just to encourage you, it seems like a simple thing. But I've I've been doing this in the preparation for for this talk. And just looking at some key key gospel passages. And it's just, it has raised my joy level. It's just kind of reminded me of those first steps that I took. That first step in in asking for Jesus to, to come into my life. And it's brought joy. And it's helping me to live more in the light of that truth. So get to know your gospel again. Revisit it. And we need to remind ourselves that we are on that mission. We're bringing that truth to the world. You know, Philip seemed to be able to push aside other cares. He was caught up in a bigger vision. You know, he'd heard the words of Jesus to go, and he was being obedient to them. And it might not be so much thoughts of persecution that trouble us, in the West, but there is plenty to distract us. There's plenty to distract us from pursuing God and his kingdom. There's another C.S. Lewis, you can tell I like C.S. Lewis. There's another C.S. Lewis quote I love that talks about the thoughts that rush in at you first thing in the morning. It says this, it comes at you the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush in at you like animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on, all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in out of the wind. That's, that's from the book Mere Christianity, which I'd highly recommend. If you're anything like me, you need to be intentional about pushing back, pushing back those thoughts, and, and just listening to that quieter stronger voice and you need to continue doing it throughout the day I was really blessed by Karen Kircher from King's Arms when she came to speak to us about being a Christian in the workplace I think she came a year 18 months ago Um, but she talked about being an undercover agent for the gospel and there's probably something about that I quite like the idea of being undercover but um, she talked about the fact that actually a lot of the time she was covert so Her workmates wouldn't necessarily know that she was a Christian, but she was going about her workplace. She was praying 
for her colleagues. She was praying in, in meeting rooms, in corridors. She was praying for situations. She was praying for her organization. And she might felt, feel led to, to speak uh, kingdom truths into a certain situation without being overt about the gospel. And then occasionally the Holy Spirit would just, you know, she's very attuned to the Holy Spirit and she, she, she said she, she knew when the Holy Spirit was giving her the go-ahead just to be over and to actually speak about her faith in an overt way. And I found that really inspiring because it's just a way that I can, I can actually bring my faith into the workplace more easily. And I've tried it. Um, I've tried to do it since then, actually, and it, with mixed success. And part of the mixed success is that, actually, I get, really, I get really focused on what I'm doing and I can literally look down and look up and it's four hours later and... You know, lots has happened in between and I haven't really thought about the gospel at all. Um, so actually, I've, I've, more recently, I've set a couple of alarms on my phone. So I set an alarm at 10.30 and I set one at 3. And they are just, they're just, my phone buzzes and it just reminds me to look up. Actually, just remember that I'm God's man in that place. I'm God's man in the workplace. It's just a way of reordering my thinking and straightening my thinking. You know, don't get me wrong, I don't go around in a holy haze. At work, I'm there to do a job first and foremost and do it to the best of my ability. But I want to recognize that, that I'm God's man in that place. I want to be open to the Holy Spirit's leading. I want to be open to bringing a message of hope and joy. Whether that's covertly or on a couple of occasions, it's been overtly for me too. And I, I've just found that, that helpful. And I hope it's helpful for you too. I'm still very much a trainee at this. But I've found it a helpful way of keeping on track my last point as we, as we draw to a close is that we should be those who are expectant that you bring a message of joy to the world. So there's sometimes a danger when we look at passages like this that we can feel a little bit discouraged. Philip, undeterred by violent persecution, moves on to another region, full of the Holy Spirit, preaches the gospel, casts out demons, heals the sick, and there's much joy. Sounds pretty intimidating. <laughs> but actually, we should be encouraged. Because, do you know what? That, that stuff's happening in our church. That stuff is happening in our church. You know, preaching the gospel, seeing people from different cultural backgrounds saved, seeing the captives set free, seeing people healed. These are things that we can see happening in, in our church today. And it might be on a Sunday morning. It might be in midweek groups. Think about Alpha. Think about Freedom in Christ. Think about Sue's Prayer for Healing and Miracles group. You know, think about the many nations, even in this room, worshipping alongside each other. That's a message of hope to an increasingly polarised society. You might see it in the lives of just individuals in this church, going out and living out this gospel day in, day out. Do we want to grow in seeing the Holy Spirit move in our lives and being able to preach the gospel? Yes, yes, absolutely, we do. And I do. But just recognise this is a grace-filled message of hope. And we start from a position of grace. So be challenged, but know that God is, is with us in this. It's a message of joy and peace. And it comes when you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we want more opportunities to speak to people like Jesus, to pray for people, to see people set free, to see men and women from all nations saved to be joy bringers. And there are a few practical ways that you can do that. So I'm just going to finish with, with a few of those. Get involved with groups. I talk about groups quite a lot. 
um, get involved with groups. We've got equipping groups, actually, where you can learn to see some of the things that, that Philip saw. Think about, you know, think about Sue's group for healing, healing and miracles. Think about Alpha. Think about, think about those groups. And we have, we have missional groups, too, where, where you can, we can invite non-Christians in. And we can speak to them. We, you know, there's an opportunity just to get to know them. And hopefully an opportunity at some point just to demonstrate uh, the hope that we have and to, to be able to vocalise that. You could offer to help out with Jenny's chronic pain group. Jenny's here today. You could ho- offer to help with ESOL, where you're doubtless coming into contact with people from different nations. And, you know, we saw a notice earlier, you could help with a winter night shelter you know, that's a really practical way that we can demonstrate God's kingdom to people who are very much in need. Graham spoke a couple of weeks ago um, about kingdom generosity and showing kindness to people and giving time to people. And I think we, you know, we, we're a very generous and kind church and we need to continue that. And we need to hear the message, you know, that actually that opens a lot of doors. I'm always really encouraged by Deb in this, and um, we've got a neighbour who lives just down the road who comes from you know very challenging backgrounds, and you know Deb's just there for her. There aren't many other people who are there for her. Deb is there for her, and she gives time to her. And sometimes that means letting her offload all her troubles. Sometimes that means looking after her children. Sometimes that means praying for her. Sometimes it means helping financially. But Deb is there for her, and. You know, she'd be really embarrassed by me saying this, but actually she brings hope to our neighbour. She raises her joy level. You know, I know there are countless stories of people in this church who, who do that. And, you know, my message to you would be keep doing it. Keep seeing the bigger picture. Keep seeing that, that, mess, that mission that we're on. And as you go about the, you know, the busyness of your life, but just, be, just remember to be expectant. Be ready. 1 Peter 3.15, we were talking about this in our, our community group this week. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, this truth that we have brings joy. And there are many people in this church who are natural evangelists. They're really good at, good at it. Not like me. <laughs> Much better than me. You know, I'm sure they wouldn't mind if you went and asked them how they go about doing it, you know, how, they, how they prepare, how they prepare their minds for that. You know, ask Pete and Fran, ask Graham and Sue, ask Bob and Bernadette about their experience on holiday. We scatter during the week and we meet together and then we go out to the world. And we rightly put an, a lot of emphasis on meeting together as a church. You know, the Bible says, do not give up the practice of meeting together, but we miss something if we don't recognise that there's a massive power in us going out the door at the end of the meeting. I think we need to get that into our hearts. You know, we are, in that sense, scattered servants. So as we close and we prepare to go out once again, I just want to encourage you, find, this, find some time this week to remind yourself of that good news, that simple truth that has such profound consequences for our lives. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again, to align you to his kingdom purposes. Know that he is on the move, the opposite won't hinder him.
and ask that he'd fill him, fill you to overflowing with hope and joy that comes from the gospel. You know, that it would overflow to those in our church and to those outside our church so that they might be brought in to meet this wonderful Jesus, our Saviour. I'll hand back to you, Deb.